Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Boldenauer. Thank you for joining us today. The summer of 86 was an awkward, romantic dance for Paula and me. She lived in Oklahoma, but spent the summer in Colorado where I lived. Not going into detail here, but it started innocently enough with budding friendship, deepening relationship, and for my part, full-blown giving away of the heart. It was one of those experiences that, over time, you know the direction things are going, not sure you want them to go there, but not sure you don't want them to go there either. A lot of emotion, thinking and praying about our relationship and potential future went into that short, fun, exciting summer romance. Then came the fall. We're talking time of year. I had already fallen pretty hard for Paula. Now that I think about it, another fall was about to happen. Paula went back to Oklahoma to finish her degree in elementary education. You've heard the saying, distance makes the heart grow fonder, or distance makes the heart wander. Well, both happened. My heart grew fonder, and hers wandered. I was totally, completely, obsessively, head over heels, bonkers, infatuated, and I think even in love. I mean, full love. Not just romantic love, but a deep soul and spiritual level love. It kind of sneaked up on me. I knew something inside was happening in a way it hadn't for a very long time. It was vaguely familiar, and I knew it was awakening a good thing, and at some point, it was total. Paula had very good reasons for reconsidering our relationship. One of the main ones was that we had an age gap of 17 years. Seven years would have been enough to throw up a caution flag, but 17 years was just kind of ridiculous. Whatever one dreams about in the early 20s will be warped by that big of a difference in ages. And thinking down the road, the warp will just increase. For example, she would be only 53 when I was 70. How does having children factor in? Of course, there were other considerations also. Culturally, we were from distinctly different parts of the country. Beyond that, let's face it, I wasn't tall, dark, or handsome. I already had a hernia and back issues and couldn't carry her across a threshold if we got married. There was a lot about each other that we liked, but reality needed to set in. And man, did it ever. Back in Oklahoma, away from my incredible charm and romantic flair, okay, the sarcasm is very rich here, Paula succumbed to the temptation of a more typical, traditional, normal life. Eventually, tall, dark, and handsome did walk into her life, and they ended up getting engaged. What was a man to do? He thought he'd found the love of his life, a love that took his heart to places it hadn't been in a very long time and to a depth he had never experienced. The pain was raw and deep. Remember the words from the 1983 Bonnie Tyler song, Total Eclipse of the Heart? Once upon a time I was falling in love, but now I'm only falling apart. Nothing I can say, a total eclipse of the heart. Yeah, I could relate to that. Actually, Bonnie had an earlier song from 1978 called, It's a Heartache. A heart in pain can relate to these words. Oh, it's a heartache. Nothing but a heartache. Hits you when it's too late. Hits you when you're down. Okay, you've got the picture. Chances are you've been there too. We all pretty much have. Relationships of love are heart-centric. The pain is real and doesn't heal quickly. 
Only love can break a heart. Only love can mend it again, sang Bobby Vinton in that 1977 hit, And It Fit. Christmas break of 87 brought Paula and her brother to Colorado for some skiing and visiting of mutual friends. I was invited to join. Of course, I had to keep my heart out of danger. But wow, was it ever so good to see her. She was a treasure, inside and out, that I marveled at. How could I let her disappear from my world? Often in life, we evaluate our levels of risk for any number of reasons. Will we regret taking a risk and losing out? Or will we regret not taking a risk at all? Wendy's Restaurant was chosen as the place to meet for those traveling back to Oklahoma. I was in a position to drive there to say my goodbyes. I knew it was risky, but I invited Paula to ride with me the short distance to Wendy's. Paula was still engaged to Mr. Tall, dark and handsome, but I knew if there was ever any chance at all for us to get back together, it was now or never. As we slowly rode toward the meeting place, I gently placed my right hand on her left knee and said to her, Paula, I love you. Nothing like putting her on the spot. After a brief pause, she said, I know, someday I will know what to do with that. My heart surged with joy. In my spirit, I knew then it was just a matter of time. She would come back to me. Nothing more needed to be said about it. That was it. In a space of a very few risky yet powerful seconds, I was a renewed person. My heart of ache and pain gave way to excitement, peace, and joy. This goodbye wasn't going to be forever. Our hearts are very personal things. This goes way beyond the physical and even emotional level. Our heart and our spirit is where life's deepest meaning is experienced. It is a place from where we find our greatest connections with each other. That's why, when those connections are ripped apart, we experience pain like from no other place. So, we're talking about the heart very definitely involving emotions, but isn't the heart more than emotions? The mind is also involved, as the head and the heart can be all jumbled up. But isn't the heart more than the mind? We can even include the physical body because we know it too is impacted by what happens to the non-physical heart. There is now a diagnosis called broken heart syndrome. The physical body is pretty much self-evident, so there must be another dimension that exists to explain this heart characteristic that we all experience. When thinking isn't enough to explain it, when emotions aren't enough to explain it, when our five senses aren't enough to explain it, then what does? I don't know about you, but this is where, for me, the soul and spirit dimensions kick in. Some people may seem like they have all of life's dimensions figured out. I certainly am not one of them, and I doubt anyone really does have it all figured out. Some things are reasonably beyond human understanding in their fullness, but this is how it seems to me to be so far. We use terms like body, mind, soul, spirit, and heart to express at least something of what we think we know about we humans and what makes us tick. For example, within the body is a brain, but the brain isn't the same as the mind. Within the body, we have a heart, but the same word is used for something that isn't physical, kind of like the mind. Then, the soul and spirit are expressed through the body, but aren't physical but they are very personal and at the core of our identity. 
I see the soul as a non-physical part of us that is totally unique. While some aspects of the soul can be grouped into generally common areas, each of us is distinctly our own person. So, your base talents and inclinations are developed and refined through a variety of experiences, but you, your unique personhood, provided the foundation on which they are built. Your personality may be categorized into some classifications with similar characteristics, but yours is fine-tuned into a one-of-a-kind, customized, nothing-quite-like-you quality. You are an endangered person. You are the only one to have ever existed, so you are the only one left. Out of almost 8 billion people currently on Earth, plus all those who have existed before and those who are yet to exist, you are the only you. You really are special. Within our souls, we have mind, will, and emotions that reflect who we are as a person. Our character and desires help define for each of us our identity. These are matters of the heart. In some ways, it seems to me that the heart is a blending agent between the soul and spirit and overlaps both. On one hand, we often refer to the heart as a term for what we care most deeply about. It is an emotional reservoir of our most intimate desires. Our passions are launched from the heart. We connect with and understand something about another in an intuitive way when we know and relate to their heart. Trust can sometimes be almost instantaneously established or rejected by a sense of what the heart connections are like. The lovey-dovey aspects of the heart are where we like to give our most attention. Why not? Love makes the world go round. However, as much as we may want to avoid it and are repelled by it, there is also an aspect to the heart we are talking about that can be, uh, to put it bluntly, evil. We know it exists in others. We see the news and the horrific things humans are capable of doing, of being. The heart's desires and passion can be for purely selfish ends. Worse is the evil toward others just because. Sadly, when we look at ourselves today, we know that as civilized as we can appear to be, even now unspeakable evil is present. What lurks in the unseen human heart that can allow such intentional violence, terror, and tragedy? If there is a God, especially a God of love, how can this happen in the first place, let alone be allowed to continue as part of our human condition? Not all evil is evidenced by the desecration and or destruction of the physical body. Some of the most diabolical evil is purposely practiced in ways that damage and destroy the non-physical heart. Skillful manipulation can effectively take advantage of others in a variety of ways. Cunningly playing on the heartstrings can result in long-term damage and pain that is always very close to the surface. Have you ever been conned by a stranger? What did it feel like when that was happening? How did you feel after discovering the truth? Probably you felt like your heart had been hurt. Maybe even like who you were as a person had been diminished. Even worse, being duped by someone you know and trust can really hurt the heart. The greater the trust, the deeper the pain. Beyond that, if your heart has been deceived by someone you shared an intimate heart connection with, it may be really hard to allow that close of a heart-to-heart -heart interaction with anyone else. If you can't trust them... Who can you trust? So when we talk about the personal heart, we all generally know what we are referring to. 
It's hard to articulate and not fully understood, but the general concept is needed to understand relationships. Relationships with each other and God, and even with ourselves, all are impacted by how we see the heart. How do you see your heart? What's the best part about your heart? Does it love well? Is it pure and perfect? What's the worst part about your heart? Is it messed up a bit, but certainly not as badly as many others? Is it messed up a lot? Has it had moments of evil? Does it now? Can it get better on its own? All the way better? To perfection? If so, how will that happen? Has it ever happened before? To anyone? If not, why not? Feel free to pause this episode to contemplate these questions. Your thoughts around these questions may have a lot to do with how you see yourself, your relationships with others, and especially your relationship with God. Jesus had some things to say about the heart. Early on in his ministry, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's quite a mouthful. Seeing God would be a good thing if we are on good terms with him. Is the implication that we must have a pure heart in order to see him? Is this an all or nothing? What if it's mostly pure? Maybe just a smidgen less than pure. Can we grade on a curve? Jesus also spoke of the condition of the heart regarding adultery. I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, physically following one of the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery, isn't good enough? Now it becomes a heart thing? Why is that? Why isn't physical abstinence good enough? How is it even possible to have a pure heart? Jesus made an interesting comment about the heart when he said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What does this mean? What is my treasure? Can't my treasure and heart be separate or maybe just overlap a little bit? How does this impact having a pure heart? Does the treasure have to be pure? What would be a pure treasure? I know we are dealing with a lot of probing questions. Are they important to you? They are and have been to me. They have helped me figure out life a bit better. During another speech, Jesus made several references to the heart. Talking to some of the leaders of the Jewish religion who were really quite hypocritical, he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Later, during the same talk, he said, The things that proceed out of the mouth come out of the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, adultery, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. These are what defile a man. Jesus didn't mess around when speaking of the heart. His observation of the heart ring true. When we honestly look at the heart of any other person we know, what Jesus says about the heart is true. If we seriously look at our own heart, we know purity of heart is not just lacking, it's impossible. Jesus is calling us to a pure heart. He knows and we know that this is what's best for us, but we can't deliver. His demands are too much. Aren't they unreasonable? Why would he do such a thing? I would love to have a pure heart and have those around me have pure hearts. Life would be better for everyone. Jesus also says, Don't let your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. And he speaks this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. After being so demanding about having a pure heart, he also says to not be troubled, to come to him if we are weary and burdened, and he will give us rest, that he is gentle and humble in heart, that his burden is easy. Isn't this so contradictory? Not at all. Not when we understand what he is trying to do for us. He knows we are incapable of having a pure heart, now or ever. Getting better isn't good enough. Self-improvement isn't a process that will ever lead to a perfect end, and there is no grading on the curve. So, Jesus encourages us to quit striving for what we can't achieve. To get over the focus on ourselves because of our limitations and failures to get past measuring ourselves by our own standards or the standards of others. The pressure is off. How? There is an amazing grace that can free us from all of that and more. Jesus came from heaven to earth specifically for our benefit and his. He loves us, wants the very best for us, wants to be in a love relationship with us, and knows what it takes for that to happen. He knows that better than we do. He created us. What he offers us through his grace is far greater than anything we could do for ourselves or anyone else could do for us. When we accept his invitation to believe in who he is and what he has done for us, to learn from him, our lives will be forever changed for the best possible outcome. The Bible word for this is called repentance. It means to rethink life's foundation. It's recognizing Jesus has a better way the best way. About 600 years before Jesus, a messenger of God, Ezekiel, was inspired by God to prophesy about what God would do through Jesus. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Who wouldn't want that? A new, pure heart and spirit from God. Within a few years of the death and resurrection of Jesus, one of his followers said, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God's love and grace through Jesus is the greatest kindness you and I can ever receive. He knocks on our heart's door and says to us, I love you. Our response to him can be, I know. And I know what to do with that. Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process grace together, please know that your thoughts and or questions are always welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.